I can't get no. Okay, hopefully you guys sound way better in one of our venues or at home this morning than this group that's not awake. Uh, we are in the big question series, and today I want to speak with you about getting satisfaction. What, what a song that, you know, Keith Richards in 1965 was in a dead sleep and was woken up, got out of bed, and penned the first riff to this song. It just came to him, he wrote it, then he went back to bed, and it wasn't until the next day that the rest of the group, the Rolling Stones, began to put, pen the words to go along with the song. But how relevant it is for us today as we talk about big questions, things that trouble us, things that we're in pursuit of of our life, as we look through the life of Solomon through the book of Ecclesiastes, to say, man, can I be satisfied? Can I really get satisfaction that I'm seeking and pursuing in my life? Ecclesiastes 6.6, 6, if you're taking notes, you can see them right there on the top. It says, he might live a thousand years twice over. Now, how many of you guys know that's a long time? That's a little longer to live than I want to live uh, definitely here on this earth. He says, but still not find contentment. And because he's going to be like everyone else, he's going to die. And his time on here on earth is going to be over. And so why even bother? What's the point? What a depressing statement to write in your journal. If I was to live 2,000 years and I still can't find contentment, I still can't experience that complete, full satisfaction that I'm craving, that I'm seeking for, and I'm going to die just like everyone else here on earth, then man, what's the point? You know, Solomon was the wisest man, the Bible says, that ever lived, and he had the brains and he had the bucks to pursue whatever that he wanted in life. He achieved and he experienced what most people spend their entire lives reaching for, trying to attain. And he wrote them down in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Pastor Shane said as we kicked off this series, this is like his journal, his diary, in which we get a peek of some very intimate thoughts from his experiences of life and some of the conclusions that he drew from that. Now, if you'll, if you'll listen to this book, and as we go through this series, you can save yourself a lot of time, a lot of money, and hopefully a lot of heartache by seeing how Solomon lived and what he experienced. Because he literally says, I've seen and I've done it all. And this book contains his journey. And I think it's so wise that we learn from other people. For all of you teenagers out there, do you not, have you not ever heard your parents say, you know, don't do what I did? Or learn from me. Don't make those same mistakes. And as parents, oftentimes we, we struggle because we know that sometimes, if, if you have any kids that are like my four, they, they like to learn things the hard way. They don't want to listen to what I have to say. They want to experience it. And you know the road that it's going to lead to. You know the heartache. You know the pain. But, but some People, they just gotta, they gotta find out for themselves. But Solomon's given us, because this is the same thing for us adults, because he's telling us, man, I, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna show you some things through my life, and I'm hoping that you can gleam some, some understanding and some insight so you don't make the same mistakes. See, we tend to always overrate the things that we haven't experienced yet. Think about that. 
Do you ever find yourself that you overestimate those things that you haven't experienced? And so you pursue... This is one of my, I'm in a marriage series that I cannot wait, a marriage group right now that uh, we're going to roll out this fall to the church. And, and I'm just, I, I feel like i got a healthy marriage and I'm growing so much through it. Because I'm, I'm learning after 25 years of marriage, man, i got a lot to learn. i got a lot to understand. But, but one of the issues, and this week's on expectations, which, which is key to, to as I'm reading and studying through that, because... I have a tendency, and this is a downside of mine, is that I build things up in my head before they happen. And they're not all bad things. They're, they can be great things. I, I build up a vacation. I can't wait. This summer, my family, I'm taking all eight of us in the family. We're all going to Hawaii for a week. But I have a tendency, the, the expectations, because I have an experience that I know what I want, that I build it so far out that it's never going to meet those expectations. And I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to be bummed when my kids can't get along and we want to argue about where we're going to eat and what we're going to do. Or the time flies by and we can't get in all of the different excursions that we, that we wanted to and that we planned to. This book literally written over 3,000 years ago could have been written yesterday. And so let's talk about Solomon's search for satisfaction. In chapter one, he gives us an overview of his, of his diary and where he's going. But in chapter two, it literally says, okay, let's get into the experiment. Let's go for it. Let's launch out. And so Ecclesiastes 2, he starts and he says, I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. So the experiment has started and he says, I'm going to test pleasure. I'm going to go all out and saturate my life. I'm gonna use all my resources, I'm gonna use all my time, I'm gonna use all my energy, I'm gonna use all my creativity, and I am going to experience as much pleasure as I can. I'm gonna live it up. And what better way for a man to start his journey this way than let's just throw a party. Do we have any people that like to go to parties, attend parties, host parties? A few extroverts, the rest of you guys, you'll wake up and, you know, they're all coming nine o'clock. They're all going to come to 11 o'clock because they were up partying last night. And you guys were all in bed when soon as the sun went down at eight. That's all right. Solomon says, let's party. How, how, many, how many of you, you know, this, this, this is your 20s? Or this is your teenage years? Or this was last night? He says, I am going to test and I'm going to throw a party. And Solomon searched for satisfaction. He says, I'm going to party it up and that's what's going to fill me up. That's what's going to satisfy. And he came to understand that partying can't satisfy me. That's your first fill-in. When you're taking up the party in life, that, that's not going to bring you satisfaction. It might be a good time for a short period of time, but it will pass. Verse 2, he says, I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what is it? I search my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during this few days of their life. Solomon throws the largest party right here that we've ever seen. Entertainment, he had the best. He had the best DJs, he had the best music. 
He, he had the best uh, comedians. He said full of laughter. He has the, the Chris Rocks or the Larry the Cable guy, whoever your, your, your guy that makes you, or the, the lady that makes you the belly laugh, the one that hurts. They got the one-liners going around the campfire, around the dinner table, and they're living it up, experiencing the best foods, rolling out barrels and barrels of wine. They are living the life. Day after day, he's experiencing this. It doesn't say for how long, but in an extended period of time, he's throwing a party. His parties were epic. Now, I say that he's throwing a party, and I know that some of you out there, you're saying, yeah, I know you're saying he party, but did he party? Because believe me, when I was young, I knew how to party. Well, let's look. First Kings, in your outline, it says, let me just tell you the daily food requirements for the palace, for these Big parties. His daily food requirements in chapter 4 of 1 Kings says Solomon's palace, he had 150 bushels of choice flour, 300 bushels of meal, also 10 oxen from the fattening pen, 20 pasture fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deers, gazelles, roe deer, choice poultry. That, my friends, is a lot of food. Day in and day out. Solomon here is throwing a feast that can feed a lot of people. Commentators say that literally thousands of people in the palace every day. So that family barbecue that you had or that kegger in your backyard, that is literally preschool stuff to what's going on and what Solomon's experiencing. But eventually, he gets tired of waking up in the back of a chariot all hung over, wondering what happened last night. And he says, man, I gotta grow up. And you're going to see through Solomon's life maybe some pictures of your own life where you went through some of these seasons as you matured, as you grow. And he says, okay, I lived the party lifestyle. Now it's time to grow up. Now i got to, now I got to be an adult. So what do adults do? Well, adults, you know, they start to work. They go get jobs. And then they begin to say, okay, now i gotta, I got to do the, 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 the car and the house. And i and I got I to, you know, begin to build things. So he begins working and building and buying and he begins to accumulate stuff. You gotta have your toys, right? You ladies, you know, you want your purses, you want your nice clothes, you want your, your home uh, to look a certain way with the decorations. Guys, they want their motorcycles or their boats or, or, or their gun collection, whatever it is that is your thing. And you, so you start buying things because now you got a job and you're making some money and you begin to accumulate. For so many of us, this becomes our cycle of life. And Solomon did just this, and yet he learned the exact same lesson from his partying days when he said, and it's this, that possessions can't satisfy me. Those things that we, that we, that we just work so hard for, they can be enjoyable. We can have great memories and great experiences, but they're going to fade. They're going to pass. For all the money that we've been saving to go on this vacation, after seven days, it's over. The only thing's left some memories. That nice brand new car that has that smell when you drive it off the lot, you give it a couple weeks and a couple kids, it'll go away and it'll smell just like your old car. Verse 4, he says that I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. 
If you know me, one of my passions and, and really my only hobby that I have is, is I love to be in the backyard. In fact, somebody asked me last week if I was going to the tanning bed when they saw me on screen. And it's like, no, I just love to be in the backyard. That's my happy place. It's not a big backyard. I plant and then I replant. I'll plant it in a different pot. I'll change things. I'll move things around. I could be out there all day long just trying to make my backyard look like what I've envisioned in my head. And yet, here's a man who's not only building a house, but he's building forests and vineyards and orchards. Let me give you kind of just a picture, an idea of what kind of house that we're talking about with Solomon. You know, Solomon, you know, helped build, he built a temple. If you look back in 1 Kings chapter 7 or 2 Chronicles chapter 4, the temple took seven years to build. It was elaborate with gold and precious gems and stones. It took seven years to build and it's considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. Solomon's house, it took 14 years to build. Double what it took to build the temple. And not only does he build his house, but he builds houses for all of his wives. And that's an event in and of itself. It was not enough he continued to build. Solomon was the ultimate polygamist. And that's one of the things that, that most of us who know about Solomon's life or have read about him in scripture, this is, this is the one thing that kind of has many of us scratching our heads is, is the fact that I can't wrap my mind around how the wisest man in the world <laughs> would have 700 wives and 300 mistresses. I mean, that just blows me away. That, 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 it, seemed, it doesn't make sense. Let that sink in a thousand different women. First Kings 11, 1 and 3, it says that he loved many foreign women. He had 700 wives who were princesses, 300 concubines. Now, I don't know how he did it, to be honest. I have one. It's a full-time job. So I can't imagine what he is experiencing with 700 wives. Solomon experienced in his life uninhibited, uninhibited, there we go, sexuality. Women at his beck and call. Could you imagine walking in, honey, I'm home. Oh, I haven't seen you in six months, three years. Let me tell you about the list that I have for you and then going on and on. Think about this. This is the other thing. Not only do you have 700 wives, that meaning he had 700 mother-in-laws. <laughs> now, I love my mother-in-law, but I know that she's, not te- she's technology challenged, and so she's not watching this, uh, so I'm safe to say that. But some of you are going, wow, I need to rethink that. I thought Solomon was a cool guy. Now he's just crazy. He had all the possessions, he just, and he just keeps acquiring more and more and more, more houses, more vineyards, more chariots, more women, more, more, more possessions. When is enough enough? And we often believe this lie that satisfaction comes when we acquire those things. Whatever that thing or those things are in our life, that's when I will be satisfied. Those things we've been desiring, those things we've been pursuing, those things we've been working for. 
And the journey that Solomon is on, it leads him to acquire more and more, not only of possessions, but of wealth. Which is something else that many of us pursue. How many zeros that we can have in our bank account? Not all zeros, we want a number, you know, in front of him. How big is our retirement? What's our stock portfolio? What are our investments like? And we make it our life's mission and challenge that we begin to pursue and to seek after. And they begin to consume us. But the journey that Solomon on is on right now is a journey that many of us have been on or are on in our own life. But Solomon acquired all the wealth in the world, Scripture says, and yet in his conclusion is that wealth can't satisfy me either. No matter how many zeros in your bank account, wealth can't satisfy you. He says, I'm going to go after the big bucks. I'm going to make the, the millions. And then after a million, then it's two million, three million. It could be a billion. It's never enough that's going to bring ultimate satisfaction. Verse 7, Ecclesiastes 2, it says, I, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I own large herds of flocks, more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and providences. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Everything that he could desire. He had that bumper sticker on the chariot that says, the one with the most toys in the end wins. Became the wealthiest man. Translating in today's value, market value, he would make the Rockefellers and the Waltons look like they were in poverty. We always want more. It's never enough. Now, he's experienced the party scene. He experienced what it's like to live it up with the friends and, 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 and the lifestyle that comes with with. with you know, having all these great things. He had built his dream home. He had more women than he knew what to do with. He's the wealthiest man on the planet. And he's reflecting on all these things, and this is the last thing that he says, success can't satisfy me. Having it all, doing it all, it doesn't satisfy Verse 9 says, I became greater than all, circle that word, all, who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure and hard work, a reward for all my labor. Solomon is literally at the top of the ladder, the pinnacle of success. He is the best. He's, a, he's achieving everything that he's ever went after. He's the guy that would be on the cover of Success Magazine. Who's gonna follow him the next month? But he still felt empty, unfulfilled inside. That's what we see in scripture, in his journal. That after all that, he still was missing something in his life. There's a void that was there that made all this stuff meaningless that made all this stuff pointless. Now, I'm not saying 
that these things in and of themselves are bad things. I want you to hear me clear. Enjoying your life is not a bad thing. Having possessions, having a home, having a car, having things is not a bad thing. Having money, having success, they're good things put in context. In context that they aren't the thing. Because when they become the thing, the thing is never going to fill that void that you keep trying to fill over and over with more and more. They don't ultimately satisfy. One of the most awful things to know about this pleasure thing that we're talking about, and you fill in the blank, what is that thing for you? Is that it'll give you a rush and a great feeling at first, but then there's a tolerance factor that is built into it over time. And you have a great experience the first time, but then the next time it's gonna take a little bit more to have that same rush, to have that same fulfillment, to have that same joy, to have that same excitement. And you know where the cycle's going because then the next time you can't reach that, so I need a little bit more. And I need a little bit more. A little bit more of that experience, a little bit more of that pleasure. And that, my friends, is how addiction happens. You need more and more and more And if you're lucky, you can break it off before it completely consumes you and destroys you. Solomon, he had the party. He had the alcohol. He had the friends. He obviously had the women. He had the houses. He had the money. He had the fame. He had the success. And his conclusion comes to this in Ecclesiastes 2.17. So I hated life. That's a little scary when you think about some of these things that we get so caught up in in our day-to-day activity. Those things that we get so caught up pursuing, he pursued them. He not only pursued them, he caught them. He had them. He had them in abundance. And he said, at the end, I hated my life. I think that is very sad. But for some of us, who've been on this planet for a few years, we maybe have had these same thoughts that Solomon had. We've been worn down, we've been, we're tired of the pursuit, we're tired of the game, we're tired of the chase, we're tired of never being able to get whatever that is, to feel that, that within us, and we've had that same thought. And so if these things are not ultimately satisfying for us, what's the answer? What is it that's going to satisfy me? There's only one answer, and you probably have already written it down because you're those type of people. I know. What's going to satisfy me? What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy me. One of my favorite Bible stories is in the book of John, John chapter 4. I've taught on it here before where the scripture, you know, tells us that Jesus decides to go to Samaria. It's a place that people just didn't go through Samaria, and definitely not Jews. But not everyone's like Jesus, and so Jesus finds himself at the watering hole. 
a very popular place. And he finds a woman there, a woman who doesn't have the greatest reputation. She's currently, at the time of the story, had multiple men in her lives. She shows up in the middle of the day because she can't go in the morning because she'd probably get beat up. She's a complete social outcast, and so she has to go in the heat of the day to fetch water. She finds Jesus there. Jesus asks her, hey, will you get me a drink of water? And so she scoops him some water. She's kind of a little bit freaked out of who's this man speaking to her. And he starts talking to her about water, and he says, you know, I'm going to drink this, but I'm going to be thirsty again. The woman goes, do you want another cup of water? And Jesus says, no. Again, this is my paraphrase, okay? Jesus goes, people are going to come. In fact, the same women that were here this morning, they're going to come back because the water that they drank is not going to quench their thirst. They're going to become thirsty again, and they're going to have to come back, and they're going to have to draw more water. In John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, But Jesus tells her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can, I, where can you get this living water? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. Jesus at the well to this woman says that I am eternal. I am the one that's going to fill that void that you have in your life. That thing that you're missing. That, that, that thing that all those men that have taken advantage of you for years, all those people that have belittled you, all the places that you've tried to, to fill your soul and you've ended up broken and feeling worthless with shame and guilt, it can be over because I have come to fill that void and that hole that no person or no item, no object can fill. I satisfy. Come to me and never be thirsty again. Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 55 how long are we going to do this? He says in, in verse 1, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. How long are you going to continue to do the same thing over and over and over again in hopes that you're going to find fulfillment in your life? He gives the invitation, and it's the same invitation that echoes out from the woman at the well. Come be filled. I will satisfy your deepest need. I will be all that you need. I love the promise and the satisfaction. It's not on your notes, but of the, for discontentment, it's found in John chapter 6, where it says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. That's what Solomon was missing. Unfortunately, that's what many of us are missing. We've not allowed Jesus to take his rightful place in the center of whatever that thing is that you're holding on to, to be your Lord and Savior, to be your hope and your future. 
seeking satisfaction in Christ serves two purposes. It's for the good, it's for our good, and it's for his glory. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so what's that thing that you've been holding on to? What's that thing that you're trying to fill that void because of the emptiness that you feel inside? Maybe you've been listening to the lies of your parents or, or your ex-partner or someone in your life that says that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not smart enough. You'll never make anything in your life and so you're on this pursuit to prove that person wrong, to prove that you are good enough, that you are worthy enough. And so you're working towards it. I'm gonna show them, I'm gonna show them. But when you get to that point in which you, you, you accumulate that thing, when you show them, it's still empty and hollow. Because Jesus is the one that brings ultimate fulfillment. He's the one. Again, I wanna be heard clearly that having a career Having a nice house, having a retirement and money in the bank, those are great things. They're just not the ultimate thing. Make Jesus is your ultimate thing. And when he becomes the ultimate thing, then those other things, they're going to take care of themselves. You're going you're to have what you need when you put your focus where it needs to be. So today, maybe for the first time, you need to say to Jesus that I'm guilty of trying to fill that void in my life with you fill in the blank. And today, I want to surrender my whole life to you. I want to surrender this part of my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Become my savior. Be my center. Be that fulfillment that's going to satisfy me when I know and understand now that whatever that thing is isn't going to bring satisfaction. But for some of us today, honestly, we just need to have an honest conversation because we believe in Jesus. We love, we love our relationship with, with God, but we've been holding back. We've been trying to substitute Jesus for something else. And that something else has taken us on a path that is, again, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. Because the more that you pursue it, the less fulfilling that it is. And so you continue to go on and on and on. And it leads down a destructive path. So even though you love him and you walk with him, you're guilty of replacing him for that thing. And you need to have a, a conversation to put him in his rightful place back into the center of your life. We can learn so much from the life of Solomon when we turn our life to him. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for Solomon's life and unfortunately we have to learn from his destruction 
We have to learn from his uh, wayward thinking, from his emptiness that he felt in pursuing the pleasures of the world. So God, whatever that thing is that is in our life, that's in our heart, that thing that, man, we touched a nerve today that you're wanting to expose in our lives to say, God, I replaced you for this. God, do the work in us that only you can do. Give us the courage to take the steps to put you in the place in our life that you deserve. God, your word says it doesn't return void. And so in confirmation, we believe that as we've read your word, as you're speaking to us, God, that you're doing a work within us. God, we love you and we praise you. God, if someone here this morning that doesn't know you personally for the first time would open up their lives and say, man, I've made a mess of my life. I filled it with a bunch of junk and I still feel so empty. And so Jesus, I repent of that. Forgive me of, those, of that sin in my life. And God, you come and you fill it. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. I give you my life. We pray these things in your son's name. And everybody said, amen. amen.